like the program set a new record for number of extras set on fire at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Which is amazing. To be honest, the next sort of five, ten minutes of this, or five minutes of it, uh, I was just constantly thinking, Bron's about to die. The Dothraki, they they love a bit of style, don't they? They love to strut. They love to be the baddest assist. <laughs> and they are comprehensively outclassed by this <laughs> flying sentient superweapon. Hello and welcome to Shark Liver Oil. It's episode four of our coverage of uh, season seven of Game of Thrones. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. <laughs> where, where, where were you then? <laughs> that was, do you know what I was saying? I, so I think I should explain on air, off air, what I've just explained. Um, <clears throat> sorry, on air, what I've just explained off air, which is that there is currently work being done on the road outside my house. I live on the fourth story of my building and it's causing my entire house to shake. I don't know what kind of machinery they're using down there, but if you hear the sort of splintering noise and this dopplering sound of my pain, that's because the floor's fallen away underneath the microphone. So many apologies for the frequent vibrations we're apparently going to get during this recording. But I was trying to, I was trying to like block it out then by using my mute button, but clearly that did not work. <laughs> no, it just sounded like you've been caught like unawares and just scrambled. But yes, I'm, I'm Dave. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm Dave. Am I? I'm Dave. Hello. <laughs> um, and yeah, so this is uh, episode four. So we're going to be looking at the spoils of war um, today. Uh, the fourth episode in the uh, in series seven of uh, of Game of Thrones, hot on the heels of episode three, which we recorded uh, a very short time ago. Um, just start a bit, bit of bit of feedback from. Uh, Brandon Stark, uh, who says, uh, I've seen in the visions that I need to send some feedback into you. Um, (laughs) He's made a point about um, the fact we actually missed a scene in um, episode three. Did we really? Um, Yes, we did. I've just noticed. (laughs) So we're going to just do a little bonus sort of... um, what we, what you missed from episode three last time? Then we'll go on to on, on to episode four. Nothing definitely but not previously on, on Shark Liver Oil. <laughs> yeah. So just before we get into um, episode four, the the scene we didn't talk about in episode three yesterday was um, over at the Citadel, and um, Jorah oh, is better yeah. and is like, I'm off to Dragonstone, and um, so he just looks like he basically looks like some kind of Burns victim now um, after having all these. Yeah, all these sort of stone, what is it, grayscale shaved off him by Sam. Yeah, um, like one excruciating of, scale at a time. Yeah, bit of a surprise that Sam's pulled this off, uh, bearing in mind it's a, an operation that's so dangerous, not even the best maces approached it, like, want to do it. And um, he had to do it all under cover of darkness with no help, but he did it. <laughs> it's a bit Hollywood, isn't it? But you're, but you're rooting for them both, so you don't really care. Yeah. And I tell you what, I tell you books. what, Jura may not be much of a looker anymore, but he's still got that voice. Still got that voice, Matt. <laughs> yeah, and he's off to go back to his Khaleesi. Ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I still think you do a better version of that than I do. I think my you've you've got bass notes in that. Yeah, but uh, he, but Ian Glenn does a better version of it than both of us. Hey, that's we're, true. But we're never going to pay money for it. So, <laughs> um, the other thing that happens in this sort of uh, little collection of scenes is Sam gets this sort of what we'd expect is going to be a dressing down from the Archmaster for for helping, 
and he basically says, you know, oh, you've broken the rule. It, it's a, almost a classic sort of um, like end scene from some kind of sort of comedy a in a university. Movie, yeah, <laughs> or, or a cop movie. Yeah, you've broken every rule in the book, but I gotta admire your spirit. You know, that's basically. <laughs> what he says. That's exactly. It. Well, no, I but I do like that he maintains that sort of gruff English patriarch thing that he's got going on, Jim Broadbent in this, where he goes. Clearly, knowledge would never move forward if nobody ever took a risk. He took a risk, came off. I'm not going to punish you for it, but understand, you're an idiot. You know, like, it's not like they go, ah, here's your badge and your gun and a promotion and a free house. He's just like, (laughs) got away with it then, did you? Right-o. And rolls onward. I know that's far more appropriate as a response, (laughs) I think. Yeah, you got away with it, yeah. Well done. Here is a, a pile of old scrolls with some flesh-eating bugs in them. Copy them all out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> that's, you, when, um, that's, do, when you, that's when men were men in the history profession. <laughs> in terms of sort of plot device, do you think that Sam's going to find something in these old scrolls that no one's read for ages? It feels like a, a neat way of getting him to find something else out that's new. Yeah, they'd almost be stupid not to do that. I hadn't thought of that again because I'm I'm the least savvy watcher of plot uh, <laughs> ever. But um, but no, you're right. That would that would be a really stupid thing for them not to do. I think um, now that he's done it, he's going to find out that if you sing "Ringa Ringa Roses" at the Knights King, then he blushes and starts dancing, and you've got a chance to kill him or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> some some piece of law that nobody's come across for centuries, which solves the whole thing. And then and then it'll be like that bit on uh, on the day to day. You know. Since that segment was made, everybody has got together and sorted everything out. <laughs> no, I think what a little bit. Of, do, do you watch? Um, have you seen any Rick and Morty? The uh, uh, I have. Yeah, yeah. I have. So, so, so there's one of those where there are these aliens, and their weakness is that they can't stand nudity. So, like, if you drop your trousers, they got to turn away. Maybe that's what happens with the Night's King. Just <laughs> <laughs> get your cock fantastic. out, and he can't handle it. <laughs> that's amazing. It's like, hey, 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 blue eyes, hey, you want a show? <laughs> okay so that done thanks Brandon Stark for your green scene there we move on to episode 4 so we move on to episode 4 the spoils of war okay buckle up this is a good one <laughs> I, can you tell that I'm just like I really am just waiting with bated breath to have this conversation like I'm, I'm not even I'm not even in that like slightly giddy schoolboy last day of term thing that I sometimes get with Game of Thrones I'm just like ah, I'm so excited I cannot speak yeah um, so the the first scene is um, this gold train is leaving Highgarden so there's uh, loads and loads of wagons filled with gold which are going to go back to King's Landing to pay off the Iron Bank so they can yep. keep funding the Lannister um, the Lannister sort of bid for the throne. Um, we we Bronn's back. We haven't seen Bronn in ages, and um, yeah. I mean, we we briefly saw him uh, last week um, when he was riding at the side of Jamie on the way over to Highgarden, yeah. and now Jamie sort of throws a bag full of gold at him, and Bronn's not happy. Still, he's sort of he's saying, "I've been promised a castle, and uh, you know, <laughs> seven seasons in, still no castle. What's going on?" <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely true, actually, isn't it? It's like you said you'd give me a castle. At the at the moment, I note I have a horse. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Jamie just says, you know, oh, um, the more you have, the more it weighs you down. 
Um, <laughs> That's a classic rich person argument, isn't it? Like, yeah. oh, you wouldn't believe the burden of being as wealthy and powerful as I am. Honestly, <laughs> Bron, you're better off where you are. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Those words may come back to haunt Jamie at the end of this episode as well. I was well. going to say um, that, yeah. We'll... <laughs> hey, um, oh, Matt, you see, once again, you're working on so many different levels. You're seeing it, you bring them together. Brilliant. Just as um, just as they're talking about this, um, Tali and Son, uh, granary emptying experts, uh, make their way over. Uh, this is uh, Clive Tali and uh, and and his and his lad uh, Dickon. Um, we're just we're just calling Randall Tali Clive now, aren't we? we Clive Tali. In, in our universe, he's called Clive. He's called Clive. I quite like the fact though that I think you and I, even with a several year long run up on being flippant about Game of Thrones at great length could not come up with a more preposterous name for a character than Dickon. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Um, so so they, they need to... They've got the gold on the way, and what they also want to do is empty the granary stores, take all the food to King's Landing as well. In the same way that they, um, they're doing that up north, aren't they, in the Winterfell? So... Um, yeah. Jamie sends Bron along to help sort of hurry along some of the more reluctant farmers who don't want to give up their uh, the grain that they've carefully stored by <laughs> to survive the winter. In case in case you should think from Jamie's sour expression and the fact that he's recently learned that uh his son was murdered in cold blood by his uh, his new mother-in-law. Um and you know unless you lest you should kind of start to feel that he's kind of human then he's like kind of you know the best way of really getting somebody to move along? Just go on, just chivvy him a bit. Go on, <laughs> poke him with swords. Dear yeah. Me. We then go to King's Landing, um, where is it Tycho or Tycho? We've had this conversation before. Anyway, the Iron Bank guy, um, yeah. very ex- very excited about getting uh, payments because Cersei's saying, you know, the gold's on the way over, you're going to get your money. And as all, as all sort of great bankers do, he straight away says, so uh, you want some more? I could lend you some more. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? He's gone from being this kind of like, we have all the money, we have all the control, you're going to do what we tell you to do. And he gets paid back a debt, and he's like a child who's been given yeah. a bag of sweets bigger than his face. And he's just like, <laughs> I love this, this is amazing, what else do you want? I'll give you everything. <laughs> Yeah, um, and Cersei wants some more money because she wants to enlist the Golden Company um, into oh, her yeah. service. Yeah, so, which is and we haven't had these at all, have we in the in the TV series? No, uh, we haven't had them at all in the in the TV series. We have. Um, there's a lot about these in the books, isn't there? So we've did the stuff about um, this is the this is the company that ends up backing that um, was it Ray something. I'm just calling Ray the guy, the guy who's um, who wants to. He's the last Targaryen. Raygon. Raygon. No. Rhaegar. Rhaegar. Rhaegus. Or is it Aegon? Raygon. Aegon. Let me. You know Ray. what? Let's see, again. Ray. Let's get this Let's. right. Aegon. Yeah. It's Aegon. God. So many fucking Raygon. Aegon. Bagon. Bagelgon. 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 The bakery thief. <laughs> Hamburglar's his little brother. <laughs> <laughs> He's like his little sidekick. That's exactly um, what it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bagel gone. Anyway, anyway, whoever they are. He's um so uh, yeah, they were the the Golden Company were the guys who were backing Aegon um when he invaded Westeros, but I mean he just doesn't even exist in the series, so um Yeah. Um, maybe he's on his way now. You never know. That'd be it'd be weird to suddenly um bring this guy up. 
but it, I suppose yeah, it could that, be done. That would be very odd, wouldn't it? Mm. And like, yeah, that whole... I mean, he's kind of a a rhyme for Daenerys. I don't really understand why he was in the first one, in, in the book series either. Um, mm. Like, what purpose he kind of plays. Um, but, yeah, yeah, no. The, so the Golden Company, that whole sequence was where, as far as I can tell, the purpose of that was to take us through Valyria itself, hmm. right? So we could see the stone men and the death of this previous amazing place and all the rest of it. Hmm. Um, but I can see why, as the maker of a TV series, you'd be like, oh, you mean there's this kind of company of badass fighters with a stake in Westeros who we could just pull out of nowhere and have them turn up? That yeah. is my jam, Holmes. Sounds that good. is my jam. I am yeah. the show creator that, in- that created the incredible teleporting Euron Greyjoy. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm yeah, always I mean, maybe, up for a bit of teleported uh, teleported warfare. Maybe the books goes in a slightly different direction, and he is really important, but it doesn't seem like he's going to be in the in the in the series. Um, no, but anyway, no. Golden Company could be on the way. Um, then we go up to Winterfell. Uh, Littlefinger gives the Valyrian steel dagger. Here's a callback from series one that was used to try to kill Bran. He gives it to Bran. Yeah. He's, try- he's trying to sort of put his arm around Bran here and like say, oh, you know, let, let me tell you a thing or two and let me help you. Out. I, I kind of think that Littlefinger this season is basically continuously trying to pledge his loyalty to various members of the Stark household and just yeah. nobody seems interested. Well, you no, know, what he's trying to do is get his play his a game card which is to you know kind of get on getting that again worm tongue is the parallel you know mm. kind of going alongside somebody whispering in their ears manipulating their view on things you know and um and for all sorts of reasons from Sansa's the closest to it but she knows exactly what he's like and so if she does it it'll be because it'll be a stockholm syndrome thing you know mm. aria doesn't care aria's like what a knob yeah. um uh, as we see later on in this episode. But this scene with Bran was the best. This was just yeah. absolutely fantastic. Because Bran, again, like Bran's on this whole kind of almost becoming a god thing. Hmm. And the very idea of trying to sidle up alongside a deity and play on their human weaknesses is just, you know, I, I don't think your normal approach is u- is going to be useful here at all, Peter. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just not good... Um, and it's and uh, and and it's just fascinating to see Littlefinger. In a way, I really love that this is how they're doing. They're, this is how they're doing Littlefinger having a bad time because Littlefinger has waltzed greasily from triumph to triumph by manipulating and killing his way through whoever gets in his way so mm. far in this in this story. And I love that the way that similar to Melisandre, actually, the way they're having him kind of lose prominence is by being totally blindsided by their normal approach being flawed like mm. Melisandre is humbled but Baelish is just going all out to try and manipulate people and nobody's listening and mm. it was just like yeah Peter Webbs like yeah. you're a knob this is known don't care yeah, um, yeah. what do yeah, you do I mean, when, when no one listens to you when you're that kind of character yeah exactly you can and, do. and watching him trying to manipulate Bran here is just priceless it's like watching a whelk try to manipulate a supernova it's mm. just it's, there's nothing doing you know, and yeah. quite rightly. I mean, I was cheering far more than I should be at a relatively downbeat dialogue scene, but I was yeah. I was ecstatic. It was such a good thing to see. It was. Yeah, but Bran asks uh, Littlefinger, "Do you know who this dagger belongs to?" And he says, "No," which is at best a half lie and at worst a complete lie, because yeah. 
um, you know, it, it did used to belong to Littlefinger. I mean, the truth of the Daggery case, I mean, it's been a long time ago, was that it, it was um, it was Littlefinger's. He lost it in a bet to Tyrion Lannister, and then yeah. Joffrey effectively sort of stole it and gave it to this cutthroat and sent him off to assassinate Bram. Um, yeah. And so, so yeah, um, Littlefinger does know more than no I've no idea who it belongs to <laughs> yeah um, yeah that's it isn't it it's fine it's, and that's it's just a great thing to remind you in the middle of that of the sort of person that he actually is that even in that moment mm. he would be like oh, oh no I haven't got a clue mm. yeah yeah what a puzzler yeah. and um and he, he also says uh, it must be so um I feel for you coming back and uh you know into such chaos around here and Bran just throws that quote back at Littlefinger when Again, from series one, where he's talking with Varys in front of the fo- uh, throne, is it yeah. is series one? It's one of the early series, anyway. Um, and he says that chaos is a ladder, and that's when Littlefinger. You just that expression on um, yeah. his face is like, oh crap! How does he know that? How, and, and what else does he know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because his whole game is, you know, strategic deceit, and now mm. he's got somebody who knows everything. Like, mm. I would not be at all surprised if Littlefinger didn't try and kill him. Mm. Um, like, if Littlefinger didn't really go for him. Because, like, I, I think Littlefinger is a very sophisticated operator, but he's got... Because of where he's come from and because of what he's like, he's quite unsophisticated in a fight. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he'll... He, 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 always, he wants to win the game before it's played. When he actually plays the game, I think he does it quite quite ineptly and I think he's I think his approach will be to try and kill Bran here. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Um we also well that that's interesting um sort of in relation to the next bit as well because Mira shows up and basically says you're safe here now so there's no you don't need me anymore. I'm gonna be with my family for when yeah. the you know the, when the white the, walkers the, come. The, the authors said we've got to get rid of one of these salaries. Who can we <laughs> It's like it's oh, another, it's another bride and blackfish. <laughs> it is. It's a Brandon Blackfish moment. Although they do make it into a nice character moment, don't they? Yeah, I mean, it, this did again with Bran feel like we talked about this last week. Do you know when you play those choose your own adventure games where you can decide what your character responds? And it just felt like someone was playing Bran as like just for a joke. So like when Mira says, "You don't need me anymore after all this time." You just select the answer because it's a laugh. Just agreeing and saying, "Yeah, I don't need yeah, you anymore." No, and then when she's upset, you, you go, uh, "Is there have you anything else to say?" And like you say, "Oh, just just, just say thanks. That'll be funny." Say, thanks. And she's like, "Is that all you've got to say?" Cheers. <laughs> Much obliged. Yeah, but um, but yeah, it's, he is just um, completely emotionally sort of cut off now, isn't he? And he doesn't yeah. seem to grasp the enormity of what this means to her because um, they were they were practically like. A, they looked like they was going to end up together, these two, didn't they? And it, some yeah. some people thought that, some theories around thought that Mira would be the sort of, the character that saves Bran's humanity, if you like. But it doesn't look yeah. like it's the case. He's just sort of a bit of a shrug yeah, with her. Yeah, it's far more interesting saying gnomic things to people who are usually completely unassailable. Yeah. It's far more interesting threatening Baelish than he is getting together with Mira. Yeah. Unfortunately, because I actually quite like... I've quite liked her as a character. I think she's a very good character, but mm. um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. Like, yeah, and she's, yeah, there's there's nowhere to go with that. You've got to get rid of storylines at this point. Yeah, and she says um, you died in that cave um, in response to that. Yeah, um, which is quite a nice summary of it. Although she has she has taken him all the way from the cave to here, 
Um, she must have, the entire time must be thinking, crikey, Bran's quiet. He's not really said much for the last, <laughs> <laughs> last four weeks. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, again, one of those slippy timeline problems, isn't it, with the thing when you actually think about what it means for the characters. But then again, yeah. it's cold. She's dragging a human being in a sledge. You know, yeah. like... Probably not probably much not going much, Exactly, not a lot of conversation <laughs> to be had there, I feel. Yeah. Um... Then we just come out to the outside of the castle as Arya finally returns to Winterfell. Lovely moment. Oh, um, that's great, isn't it? Yeah. There's this parallel with um, when she sort of returned to King's Landing back in series one where she can't get past the... the she's like, she runs into guards at the gate. Yeah. And we get like Tweedledee and Tweedledum here. The- <laughs> <laughs> They're just- fantastic, aren't they? Like, yeah. for, in every detail, those two performances are masterpieces of idiotic jobs with obstructionism <laughs> fantastic yeah yeah so so that they're a good a much needed bit of sort of light relief as well um, in the episode um yeah. I, I like although the this is game of thrones though so when they're doing that there was a bit of me that was like do you know what george i honestly think you might have them attacker <laughs> i honestly think this might be what you do it'd be a whole thing about how far you travel just to fall short at the end the only <laughs> the only thing that kept me away from thinking that was the fact that it was only 20 minutes into the episode yeah, and one guy tries to grab her as well, and she just sort of dodges out of the way. I think I felt quite comfortable here because knowing how sort of um, skillful and powerful Arya is now, you know yeah. she's not going to have any problem with these two, even if it does go a bit sort of, yeah, go a bit south. Um, I like that moment where she's just sitting on the cart, just sort of looking around in the courtyard and just sort of enjoying being back for a minute. It was just a nice moment with the character just to... of just success and just enjoying being back and yeah yeah i did think that when she was sitting in the courtyard looking at those stark banners i was like oh yeah okay all right fair enough you asked me to wait for this and wait i have and now it's come yeah she uh she she gives these guards the slip unsurprisingly and heads down to the crypt where sansa finds her um and they have a chat of a reunion in front of their uh the statue of the dad who they say you know doesn't look like Ned because the, the statue isn't quite in his likeness. Uh, I don't know if <laughs> don't, I don't know if you saw the comparisons on Twitter that they were doing with that Cristiano Ronaldo statue. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible <laughs> and true. It's not as bad as that, but actually at the start of that scene, I was thinking, bloody hell, it looks nothing like him. Like I really was. I was a bit like, can you not hire somebody to do a better job than that? Um, <laughs> But then, of course, they're they're always one step ahead and they use it as this really nice sort of, like, uh, deepening moment for the world, reminding you of, you know, in an age without photos, Mm. somebody's likeness depends completely upon good memory and good craftsmanship. And and then they use it to draw you into this point of, like, you know, everybody remembers what he looked like is dead, basically, apart from them. Yeah, Um, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's Uh, quite sobering. I really like this reunion um, because, it, it, you know, they, they were never the closest of uh, sisters, these two. So it's a bit yeah. unsure, but it's still very affectionate. And um, yeah. Yeah. and I just thought it was done, the, the sort of tone was just right. Um, and I thought it was, when Sansa says about, you know, John's away, but when he gets back, uh, when he sees you, his heart will probably stop. I thought it was an interesting choice of words uh, for the writers yeah. to put in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, they did talk about Arya's list and um, how Joffrey was always at the top. And um, they have a good laugh about Like, Sansa laughs at the fact that Arya has a list of people she's going to kill and she sort of quite sweetly laughs along as well. Um, yeah. But yeah. the sort of joke wears off a bit by yeah. the time they get to Bran. 
Yeah, no, um, well, I thought that was an interesting moment, actually, where, like, I think that's a moment where Arya kind of, she takes the path of least resistance because she's still a younger sister and, like, effortlessly reacquires that persona of, like, ah, ha, ha, yeah, just joking, ah, ha, ha, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then they're super smart, the camera stays on her face and you see her, see her realise that that role doesn't fit her anymore and that she's mm. going to need to do something else. In a way, it's like the moment that she had with Nymeria. You know, mm. it's not you. You yeah. know, she does she does this thing where she kind of giggles, and then she's like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. Mm. Like, everything that I was raised to and given by my family in terms of what its format, its form, is totally, is not who I am anymore, and I can't get away with, with doing that. Mm. Um and I actually think you see that even better later on, where um, in the in the scene that she has with um, uh, with uh, Brienne, hmm. where Brienne's given it these big swinging, you know, you know, woman of Westeros kind of fighting moves, and uh, and I is just tap dancing around her, hmm. absolutely yeah. like just like Sirio Florel. Fantastic! Yeah. Just really, yeah. really great stuff. This whole thing about how her whole experience has now shaped her into a really unique person who is mm. of the North and definitely a Stark, but actually doesn't in any sense look or act like one. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we get to the uh, reunion, the sort of reunion, I suppose, with Brienne, she's um, she's reunited with Bran. Uh, Bran's moved out to the Weirwood to just do some sort of creepy sitting down over there now. Um, I, I like, I like what does he say to the person that wheels him down there? By the way, loving the wheelchair thing, loving the wheelchair thing. Put ramps in oh, all the yeah. way around the castle, have you? Flipping like wheelchair accessibility comes to Westeros. I doubt. Yeah, you got to give it. To, actually, we were ripping this maester last week for not knowing when winter was or how long the longest winter was. But he's done a bang up job with this wheelchair. Um, it's true. It's true. We haven't seen it get stuck or anything. Well, considering like the all of the finest craftsmen in King's Landing have been working night and day to build a big crossbow, and he's just done that on his own. He's <laughs> done a fine job. Um, Actually, that is the truth. That is the truth. Yeah, all to enable uh, so, Bran to appear in atmospheric places and say creepy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because the way um, Sansa introduces this thing to Arya, um, what's happened to Bran? She just says Bran has. Visions. <laughs> <laughs> I did wonder how they were going to do that, you know, because because you yeah. kind of have to contextualize it, and you have to have somebody in the scene do it. And it really did feel to me very true to what being in a family is like. If mm. one member of your family goes through a you know particularly significant change, you know, say if, if somebody um, comes out as gay or um, or you know goes through a significant experience where they're like, I have to explain who I am differently to you now. Hmm. And the language that their nearest and dearest, who still hopefully love them very much, but hmm. who have no frame of reference for this, um, the language that they might use, I actually found that really true. Kind of like, the best summary of this is this. Hmm. And you can almost see Bran sitting there going, it's not quite accurate, but it's not inaccurate either. <laughs> we'll deal with this over the coming days and months. You know, like, and it really was, it was, I thought it was a really lovely sort of uh, moment of what family looks like. <laughs> I think it should have, it, she should have gone, Bran has visions. And then Aya just goes, watercolours? It's a little bit more complicated <laughs> than that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
Oh, it's a missed opportunity, Matt. That is a YouTube mashup crying out to be made between Spaced and Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so the uh, so Bran says to Arya that he's seen her, you know, he knows that she was at the crossroads, the end of the crossroads, and then that she wanted to kill Cersei. And this is how I realise is that, you know, this is legitimate. Bran has sort of seen yeah. things that he can't possibly know. Yeah. Um, and Bran gives this Valyrian steel dagger that Littlefinger's given him to Arya. Says, I don't want it. Not interested. It doesn't matter. I think, it, I just, I think it's interesting when he says it doesn't matter. It does feel like, um, again, he's, he's Bran's sort of grappling with, you know, I've got all this information, so what? what's important to me? And he's decided that this whole mystery over who tried to kill him isn't important to him. He doesn't care about that. He's got bigger fish to fry. So he just yeah. gives this dagger away. It just feels like he hasn't even bothered to to find out what happened to him. He's just sort yeah. of thought, oh, well, that's all that stuff's unimportant now. Well, I don't know. I felt like it was a way of, of really like bedding in and kind of driving home that thing about how little all of the traditional means of power and influence and so on mean to him. So Littlefinger's thing there was to give him something incredibly valuable and believe that that would give him some kind of influence or presence or control or something like that, right? Hmm. Um, and 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 Bran just really puts the nail in the coffin by just being like, yeah, he just gave me this, you know, don't really know why. As if he's just come up to him and give him like a a used Greg sausage roll bag or something, you know what I mean? Just like, yeah. don't really know why he's giving me that anyway, do you want it? You know, yeah. and, and just a really interesting point about how little Bran cares about what traditional power looks like. Mm. And um, and I really appreciated that. Because um, I, think, I think that's showing me what his role is going to be. Quite apart mm. from being the reason that the wall comes down in the next episode. Absolutely going to happen, by the way. Absolutely. <laughs> Mark it now. Um... But um, <laughs> apart from that, it's also to show what it's like when somebody doesn't buy into the same power games as those around them and how powerful that can be. Hmm. Yeah. Um, we move on to... Uh, they, they go back into the courtyard and uh, Brienne and Pod are sort of watching from uh, the balcony. And Pod's like, oh, well well done, my lady. You've, um, you've got them back together. And Brienne's like, I didn't really do anything. Um, yeah. It's a nice, nice little moment, and I, I, I do love Paul. He's got a little oh, spud. He's got a little potato head, like just like smiling <laughs> up. <laughs> he is. He's dead interesting though, because now, and I think he's being directed to act this way. Either that, or he's just an awful actor, which I don't think is true. Um, but he's got this really sort of smug, half grin on his face half the time. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, as yeah. if now he's no longer scared as he used to be of being, you know, the failed pain son you know, or whatever it is. Like, Podrick is now in this kind of like, yes, she respects me and I fight with her and, you know, she will teach me to be a knight and everything is wonderful and I have things to say. Mm. And kind of putting on this really, like like a 10-year-old, like holding a cognac glass. It's a bit like, yeah, don't do that. That's not that's not what you're here for. Um, but I agree. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I love it. I love that he's still alive and I'll tell you what, Matt, Pod for the Iron Throne, it's happening. I'm still on that. I'm still, still on, on that train. Still Pod on. for the Iron Throne. Um, we, we then move over to Dragonstone. Um, Daenerys is making her way down the steps to the beach, having a chat with Missende. She's they're basically talking about what's gone gone down with Grey Worm, um, and uh, Daenerys is doing the classic sort of 
so what happened? And like, we're saying this, oh, you know, stuff happened. And Daenerys is like, details, come on, girl. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant, <laughs> isn't it? it? It's such a Westerosi version of that sitting with a sitting with a, a tub of uh, Hagen-Dars. Just, <laughs> yeah. come on, deets. <laughs> um, so Daenerys gets down to the... Um, down to the beach goes over to this cave where John's waiting for her um, <laughs> the last time John took someone into a cave hey I was just thinking that <laughs> John every time he goes into a cave with a woman now John must be like uh, best, best not to dwell come on get on with being king come on there's been a lot of talk about whether these two there's any sort of sexual tension between these two um, although well, it's in dialogue isn't it um yeah what do you yeah. think well um well i think clearly there is because i think they clearly notice in one another something that uh other people can't and don't um understand about being a king or being a queen being a targaryen um, yeah and as you so <laughs> rightly say being descended from the same parents and um this is actually this is, i mean this is kind of not funny at all but um uh there is a like a, um, a, a a syndrome or a phenomenon, this thing that happens sometimes. Obviously, it doesn't happen very often. But when relatives have been separated at birth or before birth, mm. um, they will often find themselves incredibly attracted to one another if they happen to meet in everyday life because mm. they're so similar. Because, mm. you know, oh, he, she just gets me. Yeah. Um, and there are like, and it's really sad because obviously it's incredibly dangerous to enter into a sexual relationship with somebody you're closely related to. Mm. Um, um, but it does happen like in real life, it has happened. So, um, it's, it's kind of, I'm watching this really <laughs> hoping that George hasn't set up this entire seven book cycle of grand mythic classical high fantasy in order to make the argument that sometimes it's okay for brothers and sisters to kiss and Luke and Leia should definitely have got together. I really hope that's not what he's doing here. You know what I mean? Because at least George Lucas only spent 90 minutes over it. Yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, I kind of, it, this is it's an uncomfortable um, sort of idea, isn't it? Because, um, and But you could see why it, it could happen if they didn't know that, you know, Daenerys is basically John's aunt. But, yeah. um, but I, I kind of think I kind of think it probably I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think John can feel that about anybody now because of the way he's died and come back as you know like you lose a bit of yourself when you oh, brought back. Oh, that's interesting. I'm not sure if as sort of a walking, talking corpse, he, he can really do the sort of romance and falling in love thing now. But I don't know. That's just a that, it's just sort yeah. of an assumption that I I made from from what's happened to that character. That would make sense, although I don't think we've seen much of that in the character himself, really. Like, no, I feel like, no. I, I feel like that would make sense if they took it that way, that they haven't indicated that that's what's happening, right? Yeah, yeah, because the, the story has indicated that when um, you're brought back through Beric, he's constantly said you lose a bit of yourself every time you come back. But yeah. you're right, we've not really seen that with John. He yeah. seems to be just the same. He's a bit more dour than he was before, but he was always <laughs> which, a bit dour. Which we... To, uh, this one goes up to 11. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, well, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like actually, perhaps what he lost was that sense of sort of quite callow self-doubt, hmm. which obviously is, you know, if you're going to die and come back from the dead and you have to lose one part of your personality, that's a good part to lose. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, 
I do feel like that's one of the things that's made him good at being a king now, is that he no longer has this, oh, quite adolescent, who am I, what am I going to do, should I sleep with her, should I fight, should I shoot her, should I burn him, should I not, should I, uh, mm. you know. Um, rather than that, now he's just like, I'm the king and this is what we're going to do, and he's very sure-footed. So maybe mm. that's the bit he's lost, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he takes Daenerys into this cave, shows her the um, the dragon <laughs> sorry, glass. Sorry, that's sorry. A, I know, yeah. <laughs> shows her the dragon glass, that's all there, um, good to go. And um, then takes her into this other area where there are these cave paintings of the first men, the children of the forest, and the white walkers. And this leads to another conversation. We won't go over this again because we talked about it last week, about whether John should just bend the knee so that Daenerys will agree to, to help. Because she says again this time, "I'll fight for you if you bend the knee." Um, yeah. There's been a bit. There's been a, a a lot of people online like just going, "Come on, John, own up. You've just painted those yourself." <laughs> <laughs> they are quite impressive. Um, yeah. No, I I quite liked the moment where where Daenerys, you know, Daenerys's response to them is to go. They were, you know, the the children of the forest. They were here. Because that's that is the moment that I, as a historian and I, friends who are archaeologists, obviously experience it far more directly and strongly even than that. But where you're like, when you encounter, knowing that you're in the same position or place or environment that somebody in the distant past was, and you can see mm. what they did in that place, it's it's breathtaking. Yeah, it's, it's for me, it's like a head rush. It's yeah. like this sense of. A connectedness you can't define, and you'd be foolish to try and say for sure, you know, the, the the dimensions of it. But there is this sense of connectedness where you're like, "Holy crap, we have been here for a long time." Yeah. Um, and uh, and I really loved that moment. I absolutely loved that moment from Daenerys. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, 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 yeah. You definitely that that is very easy to relate to isn't it if you've ever been somewhere like um with a lot of history i remember um i went to uh, rome uh, early this year and you're oh, walking yeah. down the sort of roman forum and you're thinking god this is the exact place where you know Fuck, cicero yeah. and cato and caesar and pompey you know crassus they've all been here and it's like yeah. It's amazing. yeah they're not just you know bit part comedy punchlines in asterix books no no mm. You know, like these, you know, obviously not to trivialise, but that's where you first encounter those sort of names and then realising they were real and they were there. Hmm. Um, Yeah, that's very powerful. Um, There's another another sort of um, thing that I've seen done online with the, uh, that painting. There's a a painting of four uh, white walkers, aren't there? And um, someone has sort of edited it, so... Um, one of them had a like had a had a had a joint in his mouth. Another had a guitar. Another had a keyboard. Another had a saxophone. And uh, the, like the Knights King was just saying, "Oh yeah, those are the days." <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when we used to jazz? <laughs> yeah. Um, so so yeah, we um, as they exit the cave, uh, they're greeted with by Tyrion and Varys with some bad news. Um, Basically, the Unsullied have taken Castle Rock, but we, we know the story from the end of the episode last week. Daenerys is furious. She rounds on Tyrion and basically says um, he's he's lost all of her allies, which 
come on, it's true. That is absolutely um, true, isn't it? And then it's happened with such pace as well. Like in other series, this would have happened slowly. But now we're in this place where you have to kind of be reminded by somebody having an outburst how big a deal it is that all this stuff has happened over yeah. the last couple of episodes. But she's right. Yeah. See, I mean, she goes as far as to question Tyrion's loyalty, just to say, you know, do you really want to to hurt because they are your family these these enemies are they really your enemies um the she again talks about you know i'm going to just take my dragons and just go to king's landing and just start kicking ass and um and again um Tyrion uh says you know that is a dreadful idea it's going to (laughs) cost the lives of millions of like thousands of people and um and she asks john for advice and he quite eloquently makes the same point but he says you know if uh if you do this you're not different you're just more of the same as what they've seen before tyrannical rulers yeah. um, i think it's quite interesting that um one of the bad as it is that the plans have gone wrong one of the sort of unintended benefits from sort of the i don't know um more this is the sort of Tyrion and John point of view, the more cautious and humanitarian point of view is all of the hotheads have been like captured or killed. Like yeah. all the people arguing for like hit King's Landing now with everything you've got aren't there giving her counsel anymore. So it's just <laughs> she suggests it and then everybody else says, oh, no, no, don't do it. Um, which yeah. I think is probably quite lucky for the people of King's Landing. I agree with that. And but although I think there has been a question begged by this this dilemma as it's been set up by all of her advisors so far, which is you've got the you've got the dragons and you either use them and you're the worst monster in the history of everything, or you don't use them uh, and you lose the war. Um, hmm. And the reason that she's supposed to be the worst monster in the history of everything if she uses them is that she will be using them on civilians. But I'm always like, yeah, but do you not have battles? Do you not have like hmm. an army? you can use them against because that that seems to me to be fairly fair play um mm. and uh well well uh we shall see we shall see in about 10 minutes time <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but let's get there let's get there yeah so we go up to winterfell again uh brienne once again is kicking pod's ass podrick's basically taking the role that Arya had a couple of seasons ago where she was just getting beaten up in um in bravos uh-huh. every week but you know um, what do you know what matt they're doing it right this time because they're only spending 30 seconds an episode on it 30 seconds an episode i can do they were spending 10 minutes per episode before being like and this is how Arya stark got punched in the face in this environment and this is how she was punched in the face immediately after being kicked down the stairs and this is how she was beaten to a bloody pulp punched in the face kicked down the stairs and shat upon and it was just like i don't understand why you're doing this at this length <laughs> Pod getting hit yeah. around by Brienne for a bit every episode, fine. Good comedy relief for me. Mm. Um, this leads to um, Arya coming in and saying, right, let's go one-on-one with Brienne. Um, they have the, uh, Brienne at the start's like, oh, okay, you know, um, I'll do my best not to hurt you. And by the end of it, they're both really sort of giving it their all. And I think, um, although Arya obviously has the better of it at the start when Brienne's underestimating her, um, by the end of it, they sort of fight each other to a standstill, don't they? The final moments is yeah. I think they're both poised to deliver a killing blow. Um, yeah. Although, you know, if this was in a, in a war or a, a real-life battle situation, um, Brienne wouldn't have survived because she's underestimated Arya at the start. 
I think yeah. it was interesting. Yeah, I thought that. Yeah, I, I, and it was a great moment, wasn't it? Of these two, first of all, two women love it fighting mm. in two completely different styles, reflecting perfectly the struggles that they have faced in their lives to this point. Mm. Um, really, really great scene. And I'm not usually one for like storytelling through fighting, um, because often it doesn't work like a fight between two people you have to kind of know about the two fighting styles before you really understand anything about what it's saying about them as people but because you have all of this hinterland with both of these characters here like i say with aria i was just loving it you could just mm. see sirio florell in her for the first time in almost ever you know mm. um and uh, and again that's the first series callback that's something i was asked to care about all that time ago and now i get to and that's nice mm. Yeah, in, in the meantime, uh, Sansa sort of comes across them fighting and watches from the balcony. Um, the only th- the only thing I wanted to say about this is um, Littlefinger is always by her side now. Like he was yeah. at the start of, you know, in the last episode, he has been yeah. here. So I think if he's going to have any undue influence on any of the Starks, I think Sansa's the one, isn't it, who he'll... That's um, true, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, one thing I'm interested in there is, first of all, like, how in in her head is he? And how much is she going to be able to tell him to fuck off in the way that he deserves? Mm. Uh, but also, he's not talking very much about um, about his army, which won this battle. He's mentioned it once. But mm. presumably they're all still around somewhere in their lovely new baby blue tunics and shields mm. and that. Yeah. So... Like yeah, you know, I'm kind of I'm I'm curious about what's going on with that, like why he isn't standing on that a little bit more, kind of saying I've got an army here. Yeah, yeah, he seems to be sort of just trying to say I'm here to help, isn't he? <laughs> He's like, and, and no, no one no one's sort of taking him seriously. He's like, seriously, well, I just I want mean, to help because it's the 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 boy who cried bastard, isn't he? Like yeah. he's like the very living definition of the guy who's screwed you around so many times that trust is the one thing he definitely will never receive from you ever again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we go back to Dragonstone, and um, John and Davos uh, have this conversation with Missendi. Um, I quite like the fact that Davos is here on the island, you know, because he does add some much needed sort of humanity and, and humour and warmth because yeah. a lot of the people on Dragonstone can be a bit sort of cold fishy, can't they? Daenerys is a bit, Missendi is a bit, uh, John certainly is. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's Life nice and to have soul someone of the party. Bit, Yeah, it's nice to have someone who can tell a joke because um, even Tyrion doesn't do that so much anymore now. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, so so they they have a, a oh one other thing I like about Davos here. Um, John says uh, we have ten thousand men, maybe less, and uh, and Davos corrects him and says fewer, says, fewer. <laughs> yeah. Love it. There's yeah. just there's some things in most episodes these days, aren't there? Where they're just like they're clearly they're looking at memes a lot in their spare time, and they're just chucking them in there. Like they've had the, they've had that that top knot isn't fooling anyone, pal. Me. <laughs> And last season they had the one where they did a, they did a call out to the flipping um, uh, to that uh, lip syncing Game of Thrones one with yeah. um, Grandmaster Wicker Wicker and Grandmaster Pycel uh, like doing a little fart <laughs> and um, and all of that sort of thing. And this is yet another one of those where they're just like fewer, bloody fewer. All right. Yeah, I like it. It's it, it's just completely Stannis as well. He actually corrected. Davos's grammar about you know however many seasons ago, and I just like how oh, it's rubbed yeah. off on him. 
Yeah. That's true. That's very true. It felt like a nice little sort of ghost of a of a character coming back there for a second. Yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, they have this chat with Miss Endy about uh, John's parentage again. Um, that he's a bastard, um, and that's that's a something that's. Uh, not really understood by Miss Indy. It's a concept that they don't have in um, where she's from, and uh, and also this idea about you know choosing to serve a king or a queen. And Miss Indy's putting forward the case that she's here because she wants to be, not because she has to be. Now, and that's the difference. Um, yeah, yeah. This th- this discussion is interrupted by um, the arrival, the return of Theon. Um, his ship gets <laughs> gets here. He ju- he pulls it pulls it onto the beach, jumps off the boat, is greeted not entirely warmly by John, <laughs> I, um, who basically says the reason I'm not I'm not killing you is that you you helped Sansa, but you know I don't like you because you betrayed my brother and you know led to the ransacking of the entire North. Yeah, yeah. So. There were there was a moment with that line where I was trying to work out if that was if that added up in terms of what John knew, and I think it requires him to have had quite a lot of conversations off camera, mm. like to have been getting fairly up to date information about the progress of the war in the North while he was a fairly junior and largely despised novice of the mm. Black Brothers on the Wall, and mm. also for him, uh, you know, slightly more plausibly for him to have sat down with Sansa and heard about how she got out. Yeah. Um, of Winterfell when she was kept there by Ramsay Bolton. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, like the the reason for mercy stands up. I think the reason for hating him is is a bit much, to be honest. Like, I'm not sure how much information he's supposed to have had, and how much time he's supposed to have had for debriefing and catch up. You know. Oh, and it was it was yeah. uh, Theon Greyjoy, by the way, that led to the eventual uh, demise of your your older brother so um yeah that was that's a thing that happened yeah i think it's probably a well-known story though in the north about how the north fell now you know it was the iron islanders who came over and reaved and took over winterfell and then it passed to the boltons and blah blah did Um, that happen in the tv series yeah 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 Uh, this is the problem as well with having done the books as well where i'm like i know that happened in the books because i remember him being sort of in the castle in the books (laughs) <laughs> not at all sure it happened not at all sure it happened in the TV series the only bit I remember really well from the TV series of that area at that time is him trying to chop off Sir Roderick's head the, the guy with the amazing sideies oh and, um, yeah and he kept having to sort of he, he couldn't even do that properly yeah um, he's, it's just he's such a million miles away from the character he is now isn't he um, yeah but yeah again because he's such a broken character Theon he can't even sort of put forward any case for his defence he just sort of takes it um, yeah. we then go over to um, oh, Theon basically says where's, where's Daenerys and John says she's not here where is she we go over to uh, Bronn and Jamie. Um, over by- <laughs> <laughs> and at this point there's just a little feeling in your gut going nah Uh-oh. mate <laughs> nah surely you're not gonna nah <laughs> Yeah, so so Bron and Jamie are talking with um, Clive Clive Tarley, who um, who wants to whip the uh, the, the stragglers because they, they've got all the gold into the city now. So that's sorted. Yeah. That's safe. You know, you got your gold. That's safe. Do you want to go for the grain too? <laughs> uh, yeah. So they're trying to get the rest of the grain um, and the food into King's Landing as quickly as possible. 
um, because they're worried about an ambush, quite rightly so, it will turn out. Um, (laughs) So so Tally's not allowed to flog the uh, the stragglers. He's got to go and just encourage them. So he does this great little grimace and just sort of like rides off. And then Bron and Jamie go over to have a quick chat with Dickon. Um, when when Dickon says his name, Bron just bursts out laughing, and this is it's just I'm, I'm just bang on so board Bron. with that project, Bron. I've been with you since the end of the last series. Yeah, they have this chat just with with Dickon about you know his his first uh, his first battle at Highgarden and what it was like. And during this time, I was just think I was suddenly remembered that I'd confidently predicted that um, that Dickon Tally would die by the end of episode four. Um, and then there's the then there's the sort of sound of distant hooves, and I was thinking he's finished. Like... <laughs> we should start putting money on these things, Matt. These predictions, because I feel like I feel like there's money to be made in this. <laughs> well, mostly made for you because uh, I, I think he actually survives this. But um, let's get into it. So here comes um, what's becoming known as the Battle of the Loot Train, which is a shame because it's a much better battle than the name That's suggests. That's a terrible name for what, and I'll say this, I think I think it's up there with the Battle of the Bastards. I think, yeah. this, is, I think this is as good, and that was a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like Field of Fire Part 2, but I suppose you can't call it that because anyone who only watches the TV series has no idea what the hell is the Field, Field of Fire, fire is, Part so. 2, the firening. No, <laughs> it like, doesn't work, does it? <laughs> Where's Part 1? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about <laughs> it. This is the firening. <laughs> Burning Nation. Okay. So, Dave, it starts with the distant sound of thundering hooves, which Bron get, sort of gets, gets sort of a, he hears first. Um, he's then, a survivor that that lad isn't he yeah the the sort of the, the generals in the army um immediately know what's 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 happening here um yeah. so you, you hear them all start to shout the men grab the spears and shields and um start sort of forming up in a defensive line around the around what remains of the caravan you've got yeah. tarly sort of um riding up and down the lines like shouting out instructions like oh, form up lads and then spears and all this and I just thought then um, when I was watching that that's why he can get away with being such a bastard most of the time to his men yeah. because when yeah. it comes down to something like this you're really glad that he's there because he looks like he knows what he's doing yeah well and uh, that's it isn't it is that he's Clive Tarly is fantastic at being at being the kind of lord that Westeros demands and mm. that's why he hated his son Sam so much is because he was fucking terrible at that. Yeah. And um yeah, so yeah, so you definitely see an interesting an interesting kind of thing there. This this was an interesting opening for me of a battle because of how quickly they sort of turn on a sixpence and they yeah. go from like right winding down end of the day talk about a battle. Everybody's yeah. getting ready for the you know the slices of orange in the bath afterwards, you know. <laughs> and 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 you know a, a noise is heard in the distance. And suddenly, everybody's like, kind of, right, we're having another battle, lads. Yeah. We're doing another one. And I, I, that was really striking to me, of, just as the sheer sort of physical labor of operating in that sort of world, where you could get to nearly the end of the day and then somebody attacks you and it's time to have a battle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like with Blackwater, where it happened at two in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just, right, we're going. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was yeah. Really striking. Yeah, the impression it gave me was just very strong that, you know, this Lannister arm is very well trained. And again, because largely, I think, because of the presence of this is Tarly as well. And I think that's important because the way they kind of get routed by the end, 
um, I think it was important to establish from the way they can sort of form up so quickly yeah. that, that it, it's not sort of a poorly organised bit of rabble that's been attacked here. It's a, it's a well-disciplined, well-trained army. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, when you have this super weapon, everything changes. So they, yeah. they, they form up and they wait and then you start to hear the script. That's great. Like you hear the hooves and then you start to hear the screams of the Dothraki as they, it's not even over the hill yet. Yeah. And Bronn sort of knows what's coming here. He thinks even before any dragons show up that the Lannisters aren't going to be able to to sort, sort of repel this. Um, remember, I mean, I was thinking back at this point to that conversation that Ned and uh, Robert had at the very, one of the very, very start of the first season where, um, you know, uh, Robert says, you know, you'd be mad to meet the, uh, I think he may see this to Cersei actually, you'd be mad to meet the Dothraki on an open field. Um, yeah. And that's precisely where the Lannisters have found themselves facing these guys before you even yeah. get to dragons. So Bronn's yeah. saying, "You best get to Kings to Jamie, make a run for it because we're not going to be able to hold them here." Jamie thinks they can, and yeah. then uh, and then you see they like it goes along the line, and there's like there's this one Lannister soldier on the front with a spear who's at, it's like looks like he's actually shitting his pants as he's waiting there. Quite quite yeah. rightly so. I yeah, quite reasonably, that is a rational response, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then uh, the sort of the the the, uh, the the cavalry charge comes over the hill, and the dragon swoops down over them. And this was sort of a moment you thought, "Oh, geez, here it comes." Yeah. Uh, Daenerys shouts Dracarys, and all hell breaks loose. Yeah, um, and then some. Like yeah, so there's this very crap. yeah, there's this very obviously carefully drawn up defensive line. The whole. Um, way that the Lannisters can survive here is by having this shield wall and with the spearmen behind and the archers behind that and just holding the line there and straight away um, the dragon just burns a hole effectively in that and the Dothraki ride through and from then on it's pretty much over Um, it's just how quickly it's going to be over yeah yeah like yeah it's it was an astonishing sight. You're right that they had to establish the the Lannisters and how effective they are beforehand because we haven't actually seen them fight very often. All these yeah. all these battles with them, like Castle Rock, it's all happened off screen. Hmm. But so you have to establish how badass they are, and that only serves to heighten the kind of holy shit thing hmm. of this dragon appearing. Hmm. And the, my first response actually was to feel a bit sorry for the Dothraki because the Dothraki they they love a bit of style, don't they? They love to strut. They love to be the baddest assist. And they are comprehensively outclassed by this <laughs> flying sentient super weapon, which is quite a trick because they are, and as far as I can tell, they're doing this for real. They are standing on the backs of their galloping horses, firing arrows. And I was like, do you know what? I almost forgive you for how many battle scenes you've skipped if you've got the budget to make it look like dudes can stand on the back of galloping horses and fire arrows and not die. Like yeah. that. Whether it was stunt work or incredibly good CGI or model or whatever it was, hats off because that was fucking incredible. Yeah, as uh, as uh, special effects work. Yeah, apparently the guys jumping on the horseback and and firing that, that people can actually do that. That's that is actually stuntmen Holy doing it, shit. which is amazing. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, you might as well tell me that somebody can like magic gold out of the air by clicking their fingers. I just how do you even? Yeah, I just I breathtaking, breathtaking. Yeah. 
and uh, some of the others jump on the horse's back and then leap from the back into the middle of the Lannisters. It's quite interesting because obviously they burn the hole in that first line, which is horrific in itself. Um, mm. But other parts of the line do hold, so you do still get to see what happens when a cavalry charge hits um, a very yeah. well organized shield wall, and um, yeah. and that's so you're right in the middle of that as well. Um, yeah. But all the time, as it's all going on, this you've got the uh, um, you've got the dragon flying around, just just firing out all this, just suddenly like bursting a lot of people into flames. There's one bit where there's like a Lannister soldier who sort of um, stabs down on a like a fallen Dothraki, and then suddenly he just bursts into flames as another load of uh, fire comes in, um, yeah. which was which is really I thought was a really great shot. It's, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. It, apparently the uh, <laughs> the the set like the program set a new record for number of extras set on fire at the same time (laughs) (laughs) which is amazing i love that there must be somebody in the production company whose job it is to think about that because the guys who are setting up these scenes the director all the way you know the special effects uh, supervisor all the rest of it they're all just thinking bloody hell we've got to make it look like a dragon is genuinely attacking a medieval army Mm. Right, sleeves rolled up here, lads. <laughs> yeah. Somebody in the background is going, how many men are you going to set on fire? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 200 and... Oh, and with the guys on the left, they're all, they're all at the same time, right? Yes, That's I think you've got the record. Well done. Well, very well done. Let's, let's contact <laughs> Guinness. Just, like, who, who's, whose job is it to know that glorious? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, the, the, so the, obviously, the big problem here is the the big problem is the dragon, and um, Jamie tries to. Uh, one way they try to sort of uh, stop it is Jamie gets basically a, a full detachment of archers in front of him, and they sort of hold position. And as it yeah. swoops down, they all fire at it. I just thought, imagine being one of those poor archers <laughs> as you see it coming. And they, but they all hold position, don't they? It was yeah. this really interesting thing about that discipline of battle thing. And mm. what the whole logic of how an army works is that you drill people to do things like that, even though they're definitely going to k- get killed if they do them. Mm. Um, yeah. And and they and that's what we saw the Lannister uh, archers do. But yeah, I was also thinking there was a piece of me that was thinking, um, I don't know whether that that you know very big crossbow thing that um, weird creepy maester banality of evil bloke back in the city. <laughs> Um, made. Um, I don't know if they've got that in the train. So I was wondering if we were going to have a bit of a bard situation here from The Hobbit, <laughs> where one of them just happens to make this absolutely unbelievable shot and get <laughs> it through and just turn around to his mates, crooks his fingers up slightly at either edge. Come on, lads. Come on. Yeah, that's right. Who's the man? Who's the man? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, all, all of those, they all fire at the same time and it doesn't damage it doesn't hurt the dragon but it actually diverts it it has to sort of pull out of its dive yeah um when you watch it when you were watching this um where did you it was interesting because there wasn't really it's not like the battle of the bastards where you have a clear side to root for yeah um, who did you who did you feel most sort of affinity for um was it the was it daenerys's side or jamie's side that is an excellent question because both and that's mm. fascinating because that's such an interesting thing about how well they've told the story that I care, that I'm looking at this Lancer Army going, oh man. Like, because you start with them, you kind of default to them. It's happening to them and you're with them in their experience. Mm. And that's really smart because if they did it the other way around, you'd just be like, is that the Lannisters in it? Brilliant. Go and have mm. them. Um, yeah. 
so uh, no, I really felt a sense a sense of kind of um, uh, sympathy there, um, yeah. which I, very very much surprised me. And the other reason that I felt a sense of sympathy is that this is the first time we've properly seen the dragons be a, the main event in a battle that is a main event because we mm. saw them, you know, screwing up people in um, uh, over on in Essos at the start of the Battle of the Bastards episode last series but they are but that was that was so clearly a prelude because it happened in the first three minutes of the of the of the episode and then it was like yeah so now we go to the north right and there'll be a battle scene yeah I thought so mm. um so um it's the first time we've seen them and so that was the first time that I've been presented with how terrifying it must be to to know that you're playing this game of thrones where nobody's good and you know winning winning is done by a total bastard you completely understand how robert gathered support against a targaryen with all the power and he didn't even have dragons but you know yeah. there's this thing about like what if daenerys isn't good you know what if this story arc that she's been on which has screwed her around as much as it's helped her you know really does end up dumping her out in a very dark place hmm. which i hope it doesn't but if it does that is there only being one superpower in the world mm. and them having nukes. Mm. And that's very, very, very frightening. Mm. And it was really interesting that it helped, it kind of helps you to see why, even though it's your, that your ostensible side, the person you're pulling for, has all of this power and is likely to win. Mm. You can totally see how somebody who doesn't identify with them, with, with them would be like, this is fucking terrifying. Like, we got to do something about this. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that is a theme they're going to return to later now that she's, now that, you know, she has the Dothraki and dragons and that's all you need to win, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, the, the archers haven't worked. So Jamie says, tells, basically tells Bronn to, to unleash the super, their own super weapon, big crossbow. <laughs> do you have... <laughs> The weapon. <laughs> yes, my lord, I have the weapon. And all of this is just a slightly over-designed crossbow. But, you know. <laughs> um, so he sends um, Bronn off to do that. Um, in the meantime, he ends up doing this in this desperate fight for uh, survival as, as a lot of Dothraki approach him. Um, and he's nearly killed, but he's saved in the nick of time by Dickon, who's still, uh, still around. Still um, alive. And- as soon as he saved Jamie, I was waiting for some sort of spear to appear between his shoulders or something, but he, he's, he's still alive, so he's still going. Um, so we then get the sort of Bronn perspective of a section of the battle. He has this sort of charge towards a, um, a Dothraki horseman, and he sort of throws his uh, uh, his dagger at him, and he, the, the horseman parries it away. And then the horseman does this amazing sort of, like, almost... That sort of hangs off his horse and chops the um, a leg off uh, bronze horse and it sends it crashing down, which yeah. was um, which was sort of again from a stunt perspective, um, yeah, quite quite a, an amazing thing to see. Spectacular, um, yeah. <clears throat> then you got sort of Bron on foot without a weapon and he loses his gold. And when I saw that, when he saw, you saw there's this shot of him like on the floor with the gold just away from him, and yeah. it just felt like one of those like shots you get immediately before the character dies yeah um yeah it seems to like sum up his life but he's but he's like, he's like to be honest the next sort of five ten minutes of this or five minutes of it 
Uh, I was just constantly thinking, Bron's about to die. They did a really good job <laughs> of making me believe that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And it's, I'm actually really, really impressed with Jerome Flynn and his performance in this, where he, he sort of takes you with him. You know, mm. you, he manages to be like, you look at him and you're thinking, what a bastard. But you're also think, looking at him thinking, I really hope he doesn't die. And that's a <laughs> really weird thing to look at a character and think yeah. both of yeah. those things at once. Yeah, he gets chased by this uh, Dothraki guy all the way into the um, scorpion tent, and uh, and there's this great, great moment where the Dothraki opens the tent and he's just staring down the barrel of this of this massive crossbow, and then it just shoots him. Yeah. <clears throat> so then bronze on what's effectively their uh, the, their one anti aircraft gun. Um, as <laughs> And I know that they have to do it in this way where it's actually got a chance of doing something with it. But I really was looking at it going, statistically, your odds are not positive there. <laughs> like, you're loading this thing up. It's clearly it's the only one of its kind on the battlefield. You are surrounded. The lines have met. You're surrounded by guys who could just as easily look at you and chop your knees off without you realizing that it's happening because you're concentrating on this thing. It's not mm. going to happen, Bron, is it? I yeah. said. Yeah. there is. Um, that, they, that, that was the one thing I thought maybe that could have been slightly different in that it feels a little unrealistic that he's on this thing and there's a lot of fighting going on around him, a lot of Dothraki around him and no one attacks him. And I yeah. thought it might it might have been quite good if he's sort of, I suppose it's harder because you can't have the chaotic flee through the, through the battle if you do it this way, but if you could have yeah. got some, like a small detachment to go with him and just sort of hold off, uh, like defend the actual um, scorpion as he's using it. But yeah, um, yeah. I think that would be that would have been a better thing if you're looking at it tactically. But it wouldn't have been as good a thing to see on screen. I think it it, it works better as they've done it here. You just got yeah. to sort of put that thought to one side about how he's managing not to get attacked. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the meantime, while that's happening, um, Tyrion um, sort of is, is on the the top of this hill overlooking the battle and watching it, and you can see that he's as the he he's seen these Lannister soldiers be killed by it's because it's this is the point now where it's pretty much a rout to the battle. And yeah. um one of the Dothraki generals with him says, you know, your people can't fight and <laughs> um you can see Tyrion's face, he's very conflicted about what he's inflicted on his own um on his own his house own here and his own people. Yeah, yeah. Very much. And I thought that was and this this thing of having Tyrion there, on the one hand it felt a bit contrived because he's looking down the hill, he's seeing Jamie, you know, and he's watching watching this this battle take place. But it was also it did get me in the feels. Like you really felt mm. his his experience there. And yeah. uh and it was exactly the right thing to have the Dothraki say that and have Tyrion say nothing in response. I think that's exactly the way that it it, it should would have and should go. Yeah. You know, is this, you know, he's just too heartbroken to say the first thing in yeah. response to that. I love the way that he sees these two white horses like running with a with a uh, wagon on fire, and then that's how we get back over to Jamie, who's also seeing the same thing. So they don't see each other yet. Yeah. Um, but you see that I thought it was, thought it was a really elegant way of connecting the t- the two um, the two characters together. Um, Jamie's still in the thick of it all. He sees another flyby of Drogon, and th- this time when he, when these men get set on fire again. They basically it's happened a few times this they they turn to ash it's sort of it's so hot this fire that they just end up being it's almost like one of those um 
like a do you know the horror films where a nuclear explosion goes up, goes off and people just turn yeah. into ash um, yeah. almost vaporized it's sort of like one step below that isn't it um yeah and yeah so that so we just see a bit more of the horror of um of, but there's one bit actually where some guy who looks to be bald um has got like his face melted off and he's screaming and for a moment i wondered if that was tarly but um he seems to be pulling yeah. a helmet he seems to be pulling a helmet off and he he never wears a helmet Tarly. i'd never seen him with one on so yeah no that was it. that for me was the horrifying thing of like but again really really well deployed here like there's a, there's a production designer with a nasty sense of humor on this on this <laughs> show for sure um but it was that um you know, like seeing somebody pull off their helmet because you, you're always looking, aren't you, in a battle scene? You're like, oh man, he, okay, he's been killed. Oh man, all of those have been killed. Oh shit. Oh, the mm. death. You know, and then you look at somebody whose outline is fairly intact, and you're like, oh, he must still be alive. And then he pulls his helmet off and basically pulls his scalp off at the same time, and you're like, Ugh. yeah, yeah. Um, was... Really effective way of presenting the specific horror of having dragons in battle and making you believe that it's real, lest we forget dragons don't exist. But yeah. I was still responding to this in the same way as I would to seeing, you know, some similar horrific weapon used in a battle. Yeah, yeah. There's also there's another one I thought that really stood out for me was this a guy like was flailing around on fire and then he sort of falls onto I think an empty spear rack and then he just suddenly just stops. And it was like that yeah. was I thought that was quite affecting. Yeah, um, yeah, very much. In the meantime, you got bronze still on the uh, on the scorpion, looking around, um, and <laughs> the, the dragon sort of comes around again, comes out of the. This was great because he's waiting for it, and he's sort of waiting to effectively ambush it, and then like you cut up to the to the air, and Daenerys is up there, and then suddenly that helps you remember that oh, actually, should I be hoping that she survives, and. Yeah. Um, and Bron does this classic line, just like "Come on, you fucker!" And I'm just thinking, <laughs> and I was thinking that, I'm just thinking that's his last line. Here he goes. He's he's on the way out, and, and he, he he's like that. He's like that. Um, John in the the office where uh, there's the guy, the IT guy, who talks about when he's uh, when he do, when he's done. He's does tall tale about where he's gone go karting, and he's like, yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. I, and then and then I hit the ramp, and they were saying, well, he's definitely dead now. <laughs> kept thinking that oh well he's definitely dead he's definitely dead now yeah 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 me too throughout that it was such a a heroic last stand type setup from um, from bron yeah yeah but um, he misses with the first arrow classic and then hits with the second uh gets a drogon in the shoulder it starts the, the dragon starts falling out of the sky but manages to sort of recover and then um burns the uh the scorpion to a crisp and bronze somehow just manages to leap out of the way before that happens um yeah. and so just about survives um drogon can't fly in him. i don't think he he lands um yeah. <laughs> does this little flick of the tail and just completely completely pulverizes Totals. whatever remains of yeah the, yeah yeah the scorpion. loved it loved it <laughs> lest you should be under the impression that because they were in a really difficult position here weren't they in staging this because you have to introduce the dothraki for the first time introduce the dragons in battle for the first time but then have it not be a total whitewash because that gets boring mm. so then you have to have the even more unlikely thing of somebody using this friggin scorpion and having it work <laughs> And then you have to somehow make it so that it's not, it doesn't belittle the dragons and make them seem less of a big deal because you've been building them up for seven series. 
Yeah. So, given yeah. all of those needs, they actually did it fairly well. And that, like, just having him total a baggage train was like, yeah, yeah, all right, cool. That's <laughs> yeah. So, Drogon lands by the river, and uh, Daenerys hops off and tries to pull the spear out of his shoulder. As she's doing that, Jamie's sort of um, what about like a few hundred yards away across the battlefield yeah. and sees yeah. her, sees a spear on the ground, and is like sort of think so is it time for the Hail Mary pass of the uh, of the battle and at the same time Tyrion's on the hill um, yeah. and he, he can see it happening he can see Jamie. he can see da- uh, Daenerys and he says under his breath you know flee um, do you know what I didn't hear him the first time he said that no I didn't when, actually I had to watch no, it twice to get it yeah so he said it and in that and I thought he said do it and I, oh, so I was you? like yeah and I was like shit like what an amazing character moment for him really to be confronted with this thing you know his family attacking his queen and having to choose um but but of course actually like that would be that would be a great dramatic moment but it's far more realistic to have to have Tyrion want both sides to live to fight another day because that's what he's been doing this entire time right yeah um yeah yeah, so so but I had to rewind because the first time I was like fuck Tyrion (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Jamie like takes a look, takes a look at the spear, and just thinks, "Fuck it, I'm going for it." Um, <laughs> spur, spurs on his horse. It's a really heroic sort of last gasp moment from Jamie. Pulls, uh, grabs the spear, charges towards Daenerys, thinking, obviously, if he can somehow, um, manage to ride her down. Now he end, he can end the war. Um, Tyrion knows it's completely. You, uh, pointless and uh, mm. on the hill just says oh you fucking idiot under his breath because um, yeah. he just doesn't, he doesn't want to see his brother die and um, yeah. it's brilliant how like Daenerys turns around and sees Jamie charging either she's not got time to do anything and then just Drogon's head comes into shot um, yeah. with his mouth, and opens his mouth and then Bronn leaps across and I assume it's Bronn um, pushes Jamie into the river just as the uh, well, throws him into the river just as the uh, the fire is blasted, and the final shot is Jamie just falling. Obviously, because he's still got his full armor on, yeah, dragged down beneath the water. And that's that was the moment where I was like, just for a second, I was like, I can't believe he's got away with that. Who the hell knocked him into the water? Like, what a lucky take! And yeah. then realizing that falling into water in full armor is dying just more slowly and unpleasantly. Yeah, yeah. and. And that one, and obviously that's what they want you to realise for the final shot of the of the show. I thought he was, oh, it was brilliant, absolutely yeah. great. You said um, overall that battle is up there with the Battle of the Bastards as yeah. the best one. I, yeah. I I agree. I think I think that's that's the best one overall. Actually, I would really? say it beats it. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, my favourite part of it, strangely enough, is probably the very start when they're all forming up and um, yeah. did the first sort of cavalry. I thought it was just so well put together how it began. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I think it was that, that's a really well put together kind of set piece. Um, I still think Battle of the Bastards is better because it's more it's more of a battle. It's yeah. more of this like that classic medieval two two sides line up, you know, massive wasteland between them, and let's just two armies, let's go. Whereas yeah. this is. This is more of an improvised, more of like an uber skirmish. Yeah. But the reason it's so powerful is because it presents all of these, all of these elements that you've been seeing set up for so long, interacting mm. perfectly 
reaching yeah. this perfect pitch. And so to me, it wasn't the battle scene is fantastic and I love it and it was perfect for what it was. But what it was was it was was made out of the components of all of this setup that you've you've had to this point to end mm. up with Tyrion looking down at Jamie making a foolhardy decision to look at Daenerys riding a, a dragon into battle, you know, mm. at great risk to see the the um uh, see the Dothraki riding in, standing on the backs of horses and taking people out. To see the Lannisters lining up, and you know, see Bronn, you know, street fighter to the last, gold spilling <laughs> everywhere. You know, all of that, and then to end with this death of a really significant, major, major character in the series so far. I mm. thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. Someone who who definitely has well, I actually, we don't really know about sort of the fate of a lot of these characters, do we? Because I was about to say someone who hasn't died is Dickon, but it, we could, <laughs> yeah, that we, we could, don't know. Yeah, yeah, we, we could easily, which would knock my prediction out, which would be a real shame. But um, I did kind of like the guy, so hopefully he does stick around a bit longer. But um, you know, it could just as easily come back next week. First scene could be um, like just someone coming across his corpse. Same with Tarly, uh, Randall Tarly. He could be. Yeah. I, I think I, I kind of think he may well be gone. Um, I don't think Dickon is because we saw him during the battle, and I think if you show someone during the battle, then you're probably going to show them getting killed if they get killed. That's true. Yeah, that's part of the storytelling piece, I suppose. Um, mm. Yeah, no, that does make sense. Okay, you you said um, the it ends with the death of a major character. Do you think do you think Jamie's done? Do you, you don't think he can survive that? The way it was shot, certainly, unless Bronn didn't have his armor on either and can pull him out, hmm. um, and Bronn's smaller than Jamie is, nobody else knows he's in there. It's a battle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's not like there's a tracker on the really important people that says, "Oh, he's in danger. <laughs> you probably better." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, go wading, go looking for him. And they did make it look as if it was very deep as well. Hmm. On the other hand, um, it's. I mean, it would have to be quite a significant drop-off, wouldn't it? Because he was on his horse at the time. So he'd have mm. to be standing on his horse in the water on the edge of a pretty precipitous drop. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, a foot of water is enough. You know, however big you are, you know, like, you can drown in nothing. Um, mm. And particularly if, you, if you're not able to really control where you're moving. So, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think he's dead. I think mm. I think it's balls to the wall from now on. I think this is Cersei goes absolutely insane, mm. um, and and I think I think the end of the end of episode seven is Cersei dying. I think that's where Ooh. it goes. That's what I think. My my immediate impression, and I still kind of think this, is that he. I as soon as I saw him, like as soon as it cut to black, I thought, oh, I don't think I don't think he's dead there because. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny you say about Bronn not wearing armor because Bronn sort of famously doesn't wear armor. It's one of his things, isn't it? He, it, it when he fought in the Eyrie, um, he he always says armor makes you slow. I always, I never fight oh. with armor. Oh, oh well, then maybe I need to be, maybe I need to have a better memory again. Um, the, the only the reason I'd say that this might not be the end for Jamie is that he, um, it kind of feels like if they were going to send him out here, a better more poetic way would be to have him just get incinerated by this dragon in the same way that his army's just been. Um, yeah. It feels like a weird thing to do to sort of throw him into the water to kill him there instead. 
Um, that's not sure true, what it adds. although I feel like there's a nice little duality there. You know what I mean? Mm. He spent this entire battle believing he's going to get fried alive and then he actually drowns. Yeah, yeah, no, um, that's, that's true, yeah. And, that's... and and I think it was a great... If he had just been burned alive at the end, you'd think, uh, you know, like you, that's what you were expecting to have happen when he does that. Yeah. And so is Tyrion, and you've been expecting it since you've heard properly what Tyrion thinks. Um, mm. But then it's just one last blindside. It's another great example of the the uh, the the battle being played absolutely like a drum, just with perfect beats at a perfect moment all the way along. Yeah, and I think yeah. that was the perfect final beat. He could still be alive. If he is still alive, I'm going to feel a little bit shortchanged, to be honest. <laughs> Um, yeah. But but then um, but then again we'll see, won't we? We shall see. I bet you next time, bet the next episode, we're at the wall the entire time, and it's unresolved <laughs> until two weeks from now. Oh, don't. Yeah, every, <laughs> every chance, every chance. It's called East Watch, so we're going to spend some time at the wall. Very exciting. Anyway, yeah. But yeah, much. I'd like to have some kind of closure on what's happened with Jamie here as well. Um, if you have any um, predictions yourself as to what's happened with any of the characters um, or any feedback you want to give us, you can contact us on email sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com we're on twitter at sharkliveroyal and you can get us on facebook as well just search for sharkliveroyalpodcast Dave I think that's it for till next week I think it is Matt I think I think um, we've had more than enough Game of Thrones this week because we've just done we've just done two podcasts in a row so um, we will get the the, the, the next episode um, as close as we can to the um uh, to the actual episode going out now so we we watch it in england on a monday so hopefully um within sort of let's let we'll aim for midweek <laughs> same for midweek to, to get the the next, next podcast out so expect it then yeah. okay until then until then Matt. Uh, please.